Daniel chapter number 9. I want to read two verses there, and then I want us to go over to 2 Timothy. I believe it's 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and read one verse, and then we'll get into the message. Now, we'll be in uh, quite a few other places tonight, and so if you can, you... uh, you keep your Bibles open and go with me. I think it was maybe Ashton the other night. He was talking about his preacher, and he says sometimes he gives a scripture, and before anybody in the congregation can get to it, he's already read it and moved on. And that's kind of going to kind of be how it is this evening. And so just be patient with me, and we'll try to get through this tonight. Daniel chapter number nine. I want to read verse number 1 and verse number 2. And just to kind of give you a little bit of of what's happening here in the book of Daniel. Of course, I'll not go through all of it, but uh, there there comes a time back in chapter number 6, I believe it is, uh, that Daniel begins to, uh, to see some writing on the wall, and at that point, you begin to see kind of a change in the book of Daniel, possibly even Daniel. Excuse me, but then you come to chapter number 8, and the Bible says that he is actually shown a vision, and Gabriel, the angel, is given permission to show Daniel a vision. Okay, now let's not get sidetracked on all of the happenings here. Uh, We're dealing, again, with how to study the Bible And we're using these passages here to try to help us understand this. But Daniel has been given a vision of some things to come. And it says that uh, he was astonished at the end of chapter 8. It says that he was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So now we come into chapter number 9, and it just basically gives us a, a, a pinpoint of time. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Here's our text in verse number two. In the year, the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So let's pray, and then I'll read over there in Second Timothy chapter number 4. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the good singing that we've had, the good spirit that's been in this place all day long. God, we thank you, Lord, the rest that we received this afternoon. Lord, just the just to be able to sit back and take in your glory, Lord, was just wonderful today. And Lord, we pray now that you'd help us as we try to preach or teach tonight. I ask you that you'd give us clarity of mind and speech. I pray that you'd put our minds upon the Word of God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have read this verse in uh, uh, chapter number 9 of the book of Daniel. And if you'll notice, I told you that we're going to be furthering our study on how to study the Bible. And so maybe you caught that in verse number 2. It was in the first year of his, Darius' reign, that I, Daniel, understood, here it is, by books. 
by books, all right? And so, real quick, before I get too sidetracked, I want us to look over in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is at the end of his life, and he is writing to Timothy, and he tells, you can read, you can read all of this, of course, but uh, he tells in verse number 9, do thy diligence to come unto me, but then he says in verse number 13, he says, I want you to remember the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchment. Now, I, I may mention this here in just a moment, but if you, if you get anything from this series, I want you to get that your Bible is the number one source of studying. Did y'all catch that? It is the number one source of study. Daniel said that I have basically received much learning by books. And we see here that uh, Paul is asking Timothy to bring the books. But I'm glad that he puts this last part in, Brother Stanley, and especially the parchments. Especially the Word. If you forget the books, make sure you bring the Word of God. If you forget my cloak, make sure you bring the Word of God. And so as we study tonight, we of course will study about books, but I want us to be very clear on this, that I'm not hawking books, I'm not trying to force books on you, because we have the only book that we need. Can somebody help me say amen right there? Now, we understand that Scripture bears witness with Scripture. If you don't understand it here, find find those words, find that phrase. A lot of times in the New Testament, uh, mainly with, with Jesus, with Peter, and with Paul, they will reference an Old Testament Scripture. And uh, you, so when you see that, you need to go back, try to find where it is. Uh, I was talking to Brother Kurt. He was he's working on a message, and and I asked him if he had thought about going to that first mention. Well, there's an issue about the first mention that we have to we have to tell you. Sometimes the first mention is not in the same usage that you're looking at it in, and that what you found. And so, uh, when we think about the first usage, it's not necessarily the the um, the, the the first usage period. Uh, but uh, just take, for instance, the word beginning. Uh, you can find the word beginning throughout your, your Bible, uh, and we know that beginning is in the first verse of the Bible. So, yes, we can go all the way back and we see there, but what does it mean? What is the context? So, I am all for, matter of fact, I, I believe we ought to look at the first mention. If we're gonna, if we're gonna interpret scripture with scripture, we need to let it do so. And go back to that first mention, but keep it in context. And so, uh, up to this point, we've dealt with, uh, the preparation of the heart. We've dealt with the preparation of the mind when we studied about interpretation. And now we look and we see in Daniel that he has understood the past. He's understood the present and he has given a glimpse into the future dealings of God with his people. And he gained this understanding through study. He wasn't just in the palace, just just eating and drinking and being merry. He was studying. If you look in Daniel chapter number 1, let me just make sure I'm, I'm not making this up today. Daniel chapter number 1, uh, the king... Verse number 3, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel. Okay, that could be anybody. 
the certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed. Here we go, a little bit more specific. But then it also says certain of the princes. And I was reading after one gentleman in studying this, and they said that Daniel likely was, maybe he wasn't a prince, but it's highly likely, but at the very least, because of his actions throughout this this book, we find that he at least had some idea of how a kingdom should work. So maybe he was a servant in a kingdom, but likely he had some uh, some some blood running through his veins that was also on the throne at some point. But the Apostle Paul spoke about those books there in Second Timothy chapter 4. And again, he says, I want you to bring me the books, but especially the parchments. And as Paul, being a Pharisee, there's not a doubt in my mind that he had to know what the people knew. He had to know what the Word knew. And so Paul dove into the study of, of course, Scripture, but also of history, he uh, of languages, of different things of the time. Paul was also a common man. He was a tent maker, so he understood what the laborer was going through, but he also understood what that religious magistrate uh, dealt with from day to day. And so he had plenty of books that no doubt he referred back to. Now, he didn't take those from prison to prison, don't misunderstand me. He didn't say, all right, Mr. Philippian jailer, just put my books on that shelf over there. But along the line, he gained some books here and there. And in his travels, he carried maybe a few. Then he lost some, and then he gained some more. So I want us to be clear about this. He wasn't, he wasn't just traveling around with all these books. But having all these books to read in our current day, uh, I think it sometimes makes it easier to understand what the Word of God says. I've been fighting whether or not to say this or not. Something that a book that Lori is reading, and she she's told me on occasion, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with it. If if you're having to make a decision, and I've said this in, in kind of in passing, I guess. But if you're going to make a decision, it's best to keep that confined to your own thoughts and your own opinions instead of going here and there. But the writer of this book talked about gaining other people's opinions and then their opinions becoming your own. And so sometimes these books that we talk about, they make studying easier, but sometimes they could cloud the the interpretation of scripture. So uh, I believe we need to be be very careful. So tonight we'll we'll continue with part 4 on how to study the Bible and tonight's title is the examination or the classification of of this study. Number 1, I only have two points, but one of them has like 27 subpoints. So <clears throat> number 1, the balance of examination. I don't believe that Daniel just used these books in hoping to find the will of God. I believe Daniel, whatever scripture, clearly he had the, the writings of Jeremiah. He's, he mentions that here in verse number two. He says, uh, whereof the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet and uh, as it suggests, Daniel was not a contemporary of 
Uh, he was not a peer of Jeremiah, but he came after him. They may have lived at the same time, but Jeremiah has already written his documents, his pages. And so somewhere along the line, Daniel has had these. But I don't believe that Daniel used just just one book or or maybe not even a library. But I think by the books of his day, he understood the ins and outs of society, the ins and outs, ins and outs of the Medes and the Persians and things of this sort. Uh, but I, as you begin to look through here and you begin to get his grasp that he has on kingdoms and and things of that sort, he had to get that knowledge from somewhere. No doubt that knowledge was from God, but I believe he also gleaned some of that from other books. So there is a balance in the books that we study. Now, just to kind of press our point forward is we have two groups of books, most of us in our hands. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. This morning we had testimonies. And so we have a Old Testimony and we have a New Testimony. This is by the inspiration of God. This is men that are pinning down the works of God. Okay? And so in this, of course, you know the numbers. Uh, there are uh, 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. That gives us 66 books that I believe complement one another. Uh, they do not contradict one another. In Second Samuel chapter <clears throat> number 3, verse number 16 and 17... The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for uh, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So with this, I just want to bring up a little uh, a bit of division that that I've noticed over the last several months, and, and I feel like I've mentioned this before, but you have some some groups of people uh, that pretty much they go through and they they stop at Matt or they start at Matthew and they stop at Malachi and they say, okay, okay, everything after Malachi is the Bible that I want to read, and they don't pay any attention to what the the previous books say. Well, Paul mentioned he was the most vocal about. Adding the law to grace. Wouldn't you agree with that? He said we ought not do that. But it was also Paul that said that the law was our, our teacher. Okay, it was the law that began to teach us the right and the wrong. And so if you're one of those tonight that, that say, well, we shouldn't be living by the Old Testament, I beg to differ with you. I believe that, that yes, we have been delivered from the yoke of bondage of the law. We've been delivered from those things. But again, those are still some books that we need not neglect because God teaches us from Genesis to Malachi and then from Matthew to Revelation. And so keep those books. Uh, some may say that they're anti- Some say this whole thing is antiquated. And I could understand their thinking. It's thousands of years old. But it is not just pages. It is not just ink and leather and glue and string. It is the living Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is not only breathed, but this is breathing. And so we have this wonderful book of God tonight. And Paul told Timothy 
that the man of God should be perfect and Throughly furnished unto all good works. This word throughly, it means furnished, uh, furnished, uh, I'll get it here in just a minute. I, I actually <clears throat> duplicated my words. It means to be fully equipped. Throughly furnished, it means to be fully equipped. Fully or throughly furnished, equipped. And there should be a balance in the beliefs that we study. I have toyed with the idea, and there's nothing wrong with it if I did, but I've toyed with the idea of presenting to the church in a study the the different beliefs of the world. And and, and, and I'm always, it's almost as if, if the Spirit says, no, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And so I haven't done that. But the reason that I would like to do it is so that we know what other people believe so that we in turn could not combat it, but if we come in contact with them, we know what we believe and we can thereby um, <clears throat> address it. But I believe the danger in that is that there are so many people that are so immature in their faith that they could get these other faiths or other religions and other doctrines Mixed up with what we believe, and they'll end up just going off the rails. So, uh, for, for right now, the Lord's just, He says, stop that, don't even worry about that. <clears throat> so there should be a balance in the beliefs that we study. I, I do believe that we need to have a well-rounded diet as far as the Bible is concerned. What do I mean by that? Well, there's some, and, and these people make me nervous, all they want to study is prophecy. All they want to study is the end times. I don't have a problem with studying the end times, but if that's all that you're worried about, something's just, something's not jiving right with me. And then there's some that all they want to do is study the history. Nothing wrong with studying just the history, but there's so much that is happening now that if we only study the history, we don't see what God's doing now. Same goes with studying the future events. If all you study is the future events and you're not seeing what's happening now, then you're missing out on life itself, if I could say it that way. Paul mentions here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 four distinct areas that are profitable to a Christian. He says, by doctrine. Notice what the Scripture says. He says that it is given by inspiration of God. i got to say it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, here we go, number one, for doctrine. That is teaching us right. We're talking about having a balance. We're talking about this um, this balance of examination. And so there is doctrine. The, the Word of God will teach us right. He also said it's profitable for reproof. Reproof is convicting us right. Uh, if I could say it like this, this, this reproof is saying, uh, here's where you should be and here's where you are. Now you decide what needs to happen. You des- here's where you need to be. Here's that's that's reproof. That's that's dangling out in front of you that you are in the wrong and you need to be made right. So there is doctrine that is teaching us right. There is reproof that is convicting us right. Then there is correction. The Bible says that it is uh, uh, profitable for correction. That is getting us right. And so, uh, I believe it was over in, let me see if I could find it over here in 1 Timothy. I believe it is. 
Let me just see. He says uh, in chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 13, Paul is encouraging Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And so in this we find that there is a, a, a process uh, even of Timothy's study, even, uh, even of Paul's recommendation of study. He says, I want you to give attendance to reading. He says, I want you to read exhortation to encourage, to doctrine. I want you to be teaching. And here in Second Timothy chapter 3, he says that the Word of God, it is good for doctrine, for reproof and correction. It is good to get us right. Now, you and I, we can do this all day long. We can grab someone by the nap of the neck, and we can show them what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong, and we can force them down at an altar, and we can say, all right, now repent and get it right, but I guarantee you, if it's outside of the Scripture and the Holy Ghost is not drawing them, they're going to get up, and they're going to go out, and they're going to do it all over again. But the Scripture is profitable for correction. The Scripture is also profitable for instruction in righteousness. That is keeping us right. That's keeping us right. That's the end result. We, we have been taught. We have been told that what we're doing is wrong. Now we're drawn by the Holy Ghost of God to, to, to be corrected through the Word of God. And now He says, now that you're back on the right path, here's what you need to do. Here's how to keep right. Paul, over in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 20, he talks to the elders at the church at Ephesus, and he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. I was talking... <coughs> to um, Jonathan, my brother-in-law, the other day, and, and somehow or another we got on the subject of hell, and he says, I just don't hear about hell anymore. I, I don't hear preachers talking about hell. And uh, they had just had a revival, and so maybe the preacher had preached on hell. I'm not, not certain. But it, it, it makes you think, as a preacher, it makes you think, all right, when's the last time I preached on hell? When's the last time I preached on the second coming? When's the last time I preached on a message of salvation? And, and, and my mind goes through that. And Kurt, you, you will, if you are not already there, I'm sure you, you have been there. Brother David, I know Brother John, he, I know he had to do that constantly, going through and, and, and guessing, not guessing, but second guessing rather, when's the last time I preached on this? And, and what we do as preachers, we say, well, I just preached on salvation last time, surely they, they, they're tired of hearing about that. Or I just preached on heaven last week or last month. I just preached on hell last month. They're going to get tired of hearing this. But guess what? It is, it is new every morning. It is new every day. And I can remember several years ago uh, preaching a message in the title, and, and God's not giving me liberty to preach it here, but the, the title was Camouflaged Christians. Camouflage Christians, these people, and it was talking about uh, not being separated, Brother Jody. It was talking about those people that were carnal and how that they looked like the church. They looked like a Christian, but they weren't. And I preached it that morning, and there was a good response in the altars. And I thought, man, I'm done with that. I don't have to worry about it all week long. God would not let me get away with it. So I preached the exact same message to the exact same people the next Sunday. And there were different people in the altar that day. And so... 
we understand as preachers, as teachers, as ministers, that there is a message that needs to be told, but we have to preach the whole gospel. And can I say this? One preacher may, may, I guess you could say, specialize on a certain subject and another on a different one. And we ought not be critical about those things. But every preacher at some point or another is going to get off of his, uh, I don't want to say it like this, but this is the only word, his, his hobby horse. And they're going to get on something else. And the reason for that is because God's called them to leave this subject alone and come over here and deal with this. And oftentimes that preacher is out of his comfort zone when he's dealing with this. But that's because the people need the whole counsel of God. And so as we're studying God's Word, study the whole counsel of God. You want to study about prophecy? Go ahead. If you want to study about the history, go ahead. If you want to study about the second coming, go ahead. Study those things, but make sure that you are well-rounded in those things. Number two, number two, there is the method of examination. And, and I really need to go quickly here. I'm not worried about time, but, but I, I, I kind of am, but I'm not. But in Isaiah chapter number 28, let me reach over there real quick and read this. Isaiah chapter number 28, verse number 10. And, and this is an example. <clears throat> this is, I'll get it out in a minute. This is an example of commentaries making things harder than it has to be. This morning, as I was kind of um, making sure I had all my scriptures in here, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 28. And I'm going to look and see what these group of men... I have a Bible app on my computer, and it's probably got 15, 20 or more men that have written commentaries, and they're all good. And so I started at the first one, and I went to the second one, I went all the way through. And some of them are, are very wordy, and then some of them are so brief, there's, there's hardly any sense in reading what they have to say, because it's going to be about the entire chapter, not one thing. But several of them talked about this particular passage um, in a way that we don't really look at it. When we look at chapter number 28, verse number 10 of Isaiah, he says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And that, Now, that may confuse you as you read through that. I wasn't stuttering. That's what your Bible says. Okay? But here's, here's where some of confusion came. And I'm not saying that they're wrong, Brother Jody, but a lot of them dealt with the history of the writing here. And they were talking about how that uh, Isaiah, and you, you can read the previous verses here in chapter 28, you could see where Isaiah was dealing with drunkards, and he was dealing with folks that are out of the will of God. And then right in the middle of that, you have precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And he says he's not talking about the Word of God. He's talking about building the family back, building the man back. He needs to go back to the basic building blocks. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We ought to do that every once in a while. Go back to those basics. But the other three quarters of those men were talking about this as the Word of God. And one said, <clears throat> one said this, and he made the illustration that this... Line upon line, it was literally as a school child was learning to write. And they would write a straight line. And then on the line that they had written, they would begin to write the laws of God. 
And then they would write another line and they would write the laws of God. And the reason that they were writing the line is to keep their writing straight. The illustration was this. When we take the Word of God and we apply it in our lives, we are building our lives upon the line, the Word of God. But if we try to build without the Word of God, our lives are going to be messed up. And so the Scripture says that, and I'm not going to read it again, you get it, precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So there's several different ways to study, and I mentioned one of these Wednesday night. There is the expositional method to, to exposit, or an expository message, or the expositional way of studying is this. It is to study an individual book, verse by verse, And in that you use the observation, the interpretation, and the application guidelines. So what you do is you go through there and you see what the passage is speaking about. That's the observation. Then the interpretation. Uh, So the observation, what is happening, who is talking, what's going on, what's the history here, when's the date, what in, what in, uh, what is society like at that point in time? Uh, Is it a house? Is it a family? Is it a kingdom? Is it a people? That's the observation. Then the interpretation. So then you begin to look at that. And I'll say this, by prayer, you begin to interpret the Scripture. There, there is no new interpretation, so don't let anybody lie to you there. And, Brother Jody, you may see a verse differently than I am, or that I do, and, and, and it, we may all look at a verse a little bit differently, but, believe it or not, there is only one in, in, uh, interpretation of that book, but there's many applications There's many applications. And so the expositional is to observe, to interpret, and to apply. The main thrust of this method is to understand and draw meaning from the context or how these verses relate to one another. So this is that that thought of line upon line. You're building, you're building, you're building. This is where you take a verse. A preacher takes a verse and he preaches just out of that verse. I think back, uh, sitting right over there on Thursday night of our camp meeting, I, I could probably find it real quick, but I'll not waste your time. But Brother Dean was preaching, and he began to go through a passage, and just out of maybe two or three verses, Kurt, maybe you remember this, just out of two or three verses, he gave a message, Just I'm talking about just like this, and he says, you're, you're, you're looking in your books, you're looking for sermon books, you're looking on the, on the internet for all these things, but here's, here's a message right here. And he began in just a couple verses, He brought out those thoughts. And that's what expository preaching is, or expositional preaching. So the other is, and I'll tell you this, kind of a helpful tool in this, is a Bible commentary. You find you someone that you trust, a writer that you trust, that has written a commentary, and that may be many, But then you begin to read it. But can I tell you this? I'm driving home this point. You don't need these books if you'll read it and pray and study. So I encourage you, before you ever pick up the commentary, read it and read it and read it. Pray about it. If you need to, get you a concordance. Look some of those words up. If you need help figuring out how a concordance works, call me. That's what I'm here for. I'll be happy to help you. And then... 
Once you feel like you've got it, Brother Lee, once you feel like you understand it, then go and pick the book up and see what they have to say. But form your own interpretation, if I could say it that way. Figure out what the Bible says yourself. The other is the survey method. Now, uh, to survey, it means to take a book as a whole. Just say, uh, my last place right here is Isaiah. So you're going to read through the book of Isaiah and you're going to kind of gain a general knowledge of of the theme, what the author's going through, the times, uh, all of these things. And then you are going to begin to go systematically through the book. So you've read the entire thing, and now you're going to look back at the author, look back at the people, look at the subject or the theme. Uh, These, this type, often leads to an expositional study. So now you've read the book, now you know what it's talking about. Now you begin to pick out individual verses, and you go from there. So something that will help you there, the, the Bible encyclopedia, uh, often those comes in very large sets. Bible encyclopedias, Bible handbooks, or study Bibles. The next is the topical method. The topical method, and this, this goes with preaching too, talked about this on Wednesday night. Uh, the topical message, it means to study a certain topic of the Bible. So, uh, a doctrine, a, a, uh, a, a, some teaching, a place, an object, a thought, and try to compile a mound of scriptures dealing with that subject in order to understand what the Bible says as a whole. So with that definition, that doesn't sound bad at all. I'm going to come down there, okay, and I'm going to show you this. Stanley, well, you probably can't read this anyway. I can't hardly read it. If you look right there, those are all different thoughts. That I've had. Just things, you know, somebody's preaching. I'm like, oh, that'd make a good message. The problem is, there ain't a whole lot of scripture that talks about that thought. Okay? Now, I can make, I can bend some scriptures to make some of those thoughts. So, I've got a lot of stuff in here that, man, I'd love to preach. It'd it'd preach good, but it wouldn't preach right. And so, if we're not careful, this topical way of studying, it will take the Scriptures that we're looking at out of context. And it will begin to uh, form those Scriptures based on what we want them to say, not on what they actually say. So, I give you this topical method as a way of study, but uh, I believe we really do need to be careful with it. Um, you can get in trouble using a concordance. Uh, and a concordance, basically, it's just a list. If you get an exhaustive, it's just a list of nearly every word in the Bible and every place that it is in the Bible. But again, uh, if you take a word, let's just, let's just look here, um, what I say, verse number 10, uh, and you look up the word line, and you try to find all the scriptures in the Bible with the word line. Well, you could probably find something about drawing a line or making a line or this, that, or the other. But is that truly what what the passage is speaking about? So we need to be careful. But you can use concordances, topical Bibles. Um, there's lists of the Bible where it goes through and has a bunch of the, the, the lists that you're looking for all in one book. Um, doctrines of the Bible. William Evans, uh, he has a great one. 
Um, I just let Miss Denisha borrow one by Herbert Lockyer. Um, all the doctrines of the Bible is great. Uh, treasury of Scripture knowledge. Number, number four, uh, it is the biographical method. The, the biographical method, it studies the lives and, the lives and the times of individual people. Uh, one would be Abraham. So you go back and you find where Abram is mentioned the first time. Okay, where was he? What, was it in the land of Ur, I believe it was? Uh, what was he doing? Well, you begin to go through there and you find throughout Scripture, you find everything you can about Abram or Abraham's life, and then you begin to study all of the happenings that goes along with that. There are somewhere around 2,900 people mentioned in the Bible. Some uh, by name only. Uh, some you can learn about their strengths. Some their faults. Some their decisions. Uh, some of the greatest is in Hebrews chapter number 11. That hall of faith, if you will. And so you can look there. But some useful tools is the concordance, Bible dictionaries. Again, all the men of the Bible, I had that out. Uh, when I had all those books, all the men of the Bible, all the women of the Bible, those are both by Herbert Lockyer. The other is the word study method. Now, again, I want to give you a caution in this. Uh, if, if you've noticed, I like to define words, but I don't define words to change the Bible. Can somebody help me, help me right there? Um, I, I firmly believe that this Bible, this King James Bible, has words in it that we may not understand, but we can simply go to an English dictionary to understand that word. Just take, for instance, what is a precept? Well, go to your English Bible and find out, or English dictionary, find out what a precept is, and then you can move on. But now sometimes, in order to make a point, because some... English usage and the original usages may be a little bit different. We may dig a little deeper and we find out maybe what the Hebrew or the Greek was. But we do not do that to to change what your Bible says. We do that to bolster what it says, to, to kind of highlight what it means. So be careful in your word studies. Uh, but that's, that's essentially what it is to, to study the words or the phrases. And Revelation chapter 21, verse number 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So the words of God are true and faithful. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so God's word is worth studying Word by word. So that's another way to study. God takes words, I believe, very seriously. Revelation 22, verse number 19. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now, just for kicks and giggles, I want to verify this. How long are you saved? Forever. Thank you, Miss Rachel. For all eternity. This says, your name will be taken out of the book of life. It does not say out of the Lamb's book of life. So in other words, you are in danger of death if you mess with the words of God. That's why I'll just stay with God's word and not try to, try to mess with any other version of it. I'll just stay with it. And if you want to argue about King James, talk to me and let me suit up and we'll argue about it. But not tonight. He says, don't, he said, your name will be taken out of the out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. 
Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For thy words, but, excuse me, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Oh, that's convicting. How many idle words have I spoken? My goodness. Convicting, Brother Samuel. Some useful tools here is, again, the concordance, a lexicon, uh, which again, that is, that is, that is all Greek and all Hebrew. Um, you can take it or leave it. A.T. Robertson's word pictures, very good. Uh, I believe it's Vine. He has a, a word pictures book, uh, so that may help you. Uh, and then the devotional method. This is the last one. We've got about three minutes. The devotional method. And this is to prayerfully study. And I firmly believe in, and I don't want this to sound the way it's going to sound, but in the casual Christians, in, in most of Christianity, this is the way that most Christians study. And there's nothing wrong with it. Okay? Y'all hear what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with it. What is it? It is the devotional method. And this is to prayerfully study the Bible in a less technical manner for personal inspiration and encouragement. This is to go to the bookstore, go go online, and you find you a devotional. Okay, this is a book maybe that's got a poem in it or or it's got something. Uh, generally, you're looking at a, a, maybe a verse, maybe a couple verses. You're looking at a verse, and then whatever's written above it or below it has to deal with that thought in those Scriptures, and then you're given that opportunity to pray and ponder those things. Personally, I would say if you're going to do one of those, do it in the morning. That way you're thinking about what you've read. And all these studies, it would be better to do it in the morning, but especially this devotional, because you're you're doing it, uh, as, as I mentioned, it is less technical, and so you're not having to think about all these other things. What did this man say? What did this do? What did this word mean? Where were they? You're thinking about the, the, the verse that you're studying and maybe a brief little excerpt of something that deals with that passage. Then you pray and then you begin to think about it all day long. So, 1 John chapter number 2, verse 27. He says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. Now listen. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. I think when I read this, I think about in Acts chapter number 9 that, that um, uh, the Ethiopian, he was reading out of the book of Isaiah, and Philip chased him down. And he said, do you know what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone teach me? And so Philip then began to share the gospel with him, and he got saved and baptized. <clears throat> I was listening to a preacher this morning, Brother Bob Carrico. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Brother Bob. Love Brother Bob. My hand up. I love him. But he said something, and this is in 1993, that now as a grown man, I don't necessarily agree with him. He was talking about tracks, Bible tracks. And he says he doesn't like Bible tracks because people just read them and then they go. He said, but they need a preacher. Anybody know Brother Bob Carrico? He's got a real rough voice. He's singing bars. He stripped everything out. Talks like this all the time. Kind of like Brother Melvin Biggs. He's mean as a really mean thing. 
in his preaching, he says, bless God, if you're going to get saved, you've got to get saved by listening to a preacher. Well, I disagree with that because we've already established that this is God's Word. It is living. It is breathing. And as such, Brother Jody, if there's somebody lost and they receive a, a good... I'm not talking about ABC, repeat after me. I'm, I'm talking about they receive a good Bible track that tells them their condition and tells them what Jesus did and tells them how they can get saved. And they read that thing and God begins to deal with their heart. They may not know what they're supposed to do. They may not know that they're supposed to stop and pray and ask for forgiveness. But with the Holy Ghost dealing with them, they may do it on their own or they may go find somewhere where they can get some help. So, I'm all for tracts, leaving gospel tracts, handing out gospel tracts. We need to do it more. But this devotional method that John talked about here in chapter number 2, he says, you, you, you have got... Now, he's talking specifically to a people, and I'm trying not to take this out of context, but if I could say it like this, as the people of God... You have got someone living in you that is able to teach you, that's able by the Holy Ghost of God, able to manifest these things to you, and you don't need to be taught. And be careful here, because there's some would say, oh, you mean I don't have to come to church? <laughs> hey, no. No. I'm talking about studying. I'm talking about studying the Bible. We're talking about this this devotional process of studying. And John told his readers that because of who's in you, you don't have to have a preacher breathing down your neck or a teacher constantly uh, telling you what you should do because you have Him abiding in you and you have His Scripture. There's a lot of folks in the pews that they don't study because they think they can't understand it. And they think the only way that they're going to learn is someone teaching them. But I firmly believe, after nearly 30 years in preaching, that the majority of people learn better doing it on their own than they do with somebody screaming and yelling at them from a pulpit. John chapter 14, verse 26 but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So again, that Holy Ghost of God is the teacher. In this devotional method, you get to spend time. And this is generally, and I'm not being sexist, but the devotional method generally is geared more towards the women. You go look and you look on the bookshelves and they're more geared towards women. But there's nothing wrong with, with a man picking up a, a devotional book written for men, somebody help me, written by a man, and begin to study devotionally through God's Word. If you've never studied, probably ought to start, start very, very slowly. Get you a devotional book. One of those I've got wrote down is C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He has a morning and an evening. Matthew Henry has a morning and an evening devotional book. You read a couple minutes in the morning, a couple minutes at night, and it'll help you. 
It'll get that Word of God in you. Maybe you do that through the year or through whenever the, the book is written for. And then you take up with one of these others. And you begin to read a little bit more in depth. You begin to study a little bit more. So those are the, the ways to study. We talked about the balance and then the methods of examination. So let's everybody 